Scripture reading for today is Joshua 6, 1 through 14. Joshua 6, 1 through 14. Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war, going around the city once. Thus you shall do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, you hear the sound of the trumpets. All the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. So Joshua the son of Nun called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant, and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Go forward, march around the city, and let the armed men pass on before the Ark of the Lord. And just as Joshua had commanded the people, the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord went forward, blowing the trumpets, with the Ark of the Covenant and the Lord following them. The armed men were walking before the priests who were blowing the trumpets, and the rear guard was walking after the ark, while the trumpets blew continually. But Joshua commanded the people, You shall not shout or make your voice heard, neither shall any word go out of your mouth, until the day I tell you to shout. Then you shall shout. So he caused the ark of the Lord to circle the city, going about at once. And they came into the camp and spent the night in the camp. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. And the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord walked on. And they blew the trumpets continually, and the armed men were walking before them. And the rear guard was walking after the ark of the Lord, while the trumpets blew continually. And the second day they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. So they did for six days. This is the word of the Lord. So this morning we have a, a familiar passage. I'm, I'm certain a, a many Sunday school lessons have been taught about Joshua and Israel walking around the walls of Jericho. And while this is a familiar passage, I think there's some, some key principles we can gain from this text this morning. Typically, you would preach the whole story where you include the seventh day and them marching around the, the, the walls and the walls you know, coming down and them taking Jericho. Um, but I think the way that we've divided it up this morning has some interesting things um, for us to see in it. And so last week, Pastor Carter preached a, a powerful sermon on Joshua having an, an encounter with the, the commander of the Lord's army. And so all that Israel has done since crossing the Jordan River has been all about getting ready to take Jericho. And so the, their preparation, being circumcised, being, you know, healing from that, Joshua having this encounter is all leading up to Jericho. They can see it, in their sights, this is, this is the big moment. They're ready to take Jericho. And then, as we read in our passage this morning, they have to wait seven days to take Jericho. And so, much of, much of their time in Joshua leading them was spent recalling and hearing about the faithfulness to the Lord to, to take Jericho, to give them the land that God has promised them. And yet, still, there's, there's some waiting that they have to do. I think there's some principles that we can gain from that this morning. And so as we look at this passage, these 14 verses, 
I don't think the primary point of this passage is victory. We can read ahead and see that they obtained victory. I think the point of this passage is that we should walk with the Lord. That's, that's going to be the, the point of this sermon. If you're taking notes, that, that's your heading, walking with the Lord. But before we get into some of these principles, I want to make some observations from the text that are going to help us in seeing these principles. And so our first observation this morning is that Joshua calls, God calls Joshua to see something that, that hasn't actually happened. We see that in verse 2. In verse 2, the Lord says to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and its mighty men of valor. And so in, in one sense, he's, he's, he's calling Joshua to say, See, it's, it's there for your, for your taking, but it actually quite, you know, it hasn't fully realized itself yet. And what we see God doing here. Um, is calling Joshua to trust in his word and to trust in his promises. So as we read the plan, we see the plan of attack. In a lot of ways, this plan seems foolish. It seems foolish in, in, two, in two ways. Having the Ark of the Covenant lead them. If, if you were going to go into battle, if you were thinking about taking over a city, the first thing you wouldn't do is you, you wouldn't think to put a physical representation of the God that you follow in front of you. If you're, if you're going to take a city in battle. But this is precisely what, what God is calling them to do. This, and the second way this seems foolish is they're, they're not actually fighting. I mean, this is what they've come to do is to take Jericho. Instead of taking Jericho, they're going to spend seven days walking around Jericho. And so they get up, they march down to the city, they walk around the city, and then they go home. And then they get up and they march around the city and then, you know, they come back home. And they do this for six days. Like, this doesn't seem like a pretty, you know, well-thought-out battle strategy. It just kind of seems like we're wasting time. And you know what's amazing? The amazing thing you see in this passage is that the army and Joshua and the priests are actually obedient to follow the Lord's command. They're not like the people Moses led, and, and they're complaining and they're grumbling. There's a, there's a silent obedience to this text. I want you to kind of look in on that. The only sounds that you actually hear are the priests blowing the, the trumpets of ram horns. Some of this silence is, is actually mandated by Joshua. You see that in, in verse 10. But Joshua commanded the people, you shall not shout or make your voice heard, neither any word go out of your mouth until the day that I tell you to shout. Then you shall shout. I think there's an important principle for us to see here is that if the Lord is fighting your battles, there's nothing for you to say. Let the Lord speak for you as he's fighting your battles. In, in, this, in this silent uh, obedience that you see in this text, there's somebody else that, that had to obey silently. There's Rahab. Don't, don't forget about Rahab. I, I, in my mind, I'm thinking, man, it's been a while since we've actually, in this sermon series, preached on Rahab. Imagine Rahab in that city. Her house is built into the wall. She can see and hear this army walking around, you know, day by day. Imagine in her mind, she's wondering, Lord, what, when is the day that me and my family are going to be saved? I can see them. I've, I've obeyed the command. The command for her was to hang the scarlet rope out of the window. She's like, I've done what I'm supposed to do. I see them. I hear them. I hear this trumpet blowing every day. 
It's coming. I don't know when it's coming, but it's coming. And each day she's on pins and needles kind of waiting for the deliverance of the Lord. And so, again, notice the, the silent obedience of this text coming from the army. Contrast their, their obedience with what you see with Moses leading the people. Everything Moses did was there was pushback, grumbling, complaining. You brought us out here to die. Every, Moses had a, a hard time with, with his people. And because of this generation, this is why God had Joshua to circumcise the men uh, leading to this. That, that faithless, unfaithful generation, they, did not com- uh, they didn't keep the commands of the Lord to teach his statutes to their children. And so God had to kind of hit the reset button and say, this was a faithless generation. I want you all to see and learn a lesson from them and follow me in obedience. Again, there's, there's a silent uh, obedience in this text. And, and our last observation I want to bring to your attention is that the only people who knew the day of the battle were the Lord and Joshua. The army and the priests were to faithfully follow Joshua daily. He didn't give them the full plan. And so even for them, they're, they're getting up every day like, is this the day we're going to fight? Is this the day we're going to receive victory and take Jericho? Each day, day by day, they were to get up and walk with Joshua following the Lord's commands. So what, so what can we learn? What can we learn about God and ourselves from this familiar story about Israel walking around the walls of Jericho? I want us to consider these principles in the context of the title of our series. The title of this series is Joshua, More Than Conquerors. As we walk with the Lord as Christians, there are going to be places and problems and sins and, and thoughts that God is leading us to conquer. One of the major themes in this book is that we see Israel taking possession of what God promised them. One of the things we see as an aim in this, in this sermon series is that you would find encouragement in fighting the right battles and learning how to fight those battles. So this morning, there are three principles I think we can, we can gain from this story of Israel uh, marching around the walls of Jericho. The first principle is that we must trust the promises of God. We must trust the promises of God. We see that, again, in verse 2, where Excuse me, the Lord is calling Joshua to see, I have given Jericho into your hands with its king and its mighty men of valor. If, if I were to say to you this morning, see, the Falcons have won the Super Bowl. See, you're laughing. Regardless of how much I want that to be true, I have, I have no power over making that a reality. The difference we see with God here, when he says see, He has the power to make that actually happen. And so what he's calling Joshua to do is to to reflect on the promises I've made to you. So if you look at Joshua 1.3, it says, I will give you every place where where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. And so, again, he's bringing Joshua into his promises. Like, remember what I promised you. See, it's, it's there for the taking. I've been making this promise for a long time. I have a lot riding on this. You can trust when I tell you, you will take Jericho, that that's actually what's going to happen. You can believe and depend on that. This promise is, is based on previous promises. So we can, we can trust the Lord. We can trust the words of the Lord when, when he gives us his promises. 
And so when we're thinking about battles and conquering, we must engage in the battles where we have the Lord's promises. So what promises can we trust in? There are tons of passages throughout the scriptures, but I want to start with our most important promise that we have. The most important promise we have is the promise of eternal life. Again, one of the overarching themes in the book of Joshua is that Joshua leads God's people into victory. In this way, Joshua serves as a type of Christ. His name means the Lord saves, Yahweh saves. So in Jesus, we see that full eye, uh, really uh, brought, to, brought to life in the, in the full sense. The physical conquering we see with Israel points to the greater and spiritual reality of Jesus' conquering of sin and death. We see in Acts 4.12, that salvation is found in no one else, for there is no, one, no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. We see in John 6, verse 40, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. God is saying to us this morning, the battle we must be first and primarily you know, concerned with is the battle for your soul. Where will you spend eternity? He's, he's in Jesus. God is saying to us, see, I have given you eternal life. See, there is no other name under heaven that you uh, can be saved by. See the mercy and grace that you, uh, that's available to you this morning. Romans 10, 11 says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. And so trusting the promises of God is the key to being more than conquerors. So as we move on to our, our second principle we can see in this text, if we're going to be more than conquerors, it's important that we obey God's command to walk with him. Obeying God's command to walk with him. When the Lord gives us a promise, there must be an actual like, realization of that promise. And often that involves our obedience. And so as we look at this story, we see the plan of attack is really to walk with him. This is the point of the passage, that God is, what God is seeking to do is to have his people walk with him. By the way, this is, this is what God has been doing since creation. Adam and Eve had the blessed privilege of being able to walk with the Lord. Genesis 3.8 says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of, of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So the original plan was for God to be with his people, to live amongst his people. Adam and Eve's walking away from God, which is sin, created a separation in the relationship. And from that point on, what you see playing out in the scriptures is over and over again, God creating situations for him to be with his people. We see that in, in Mark uh, chapter 3, verse 14 where it says that Jesus selected his 12 disciples that they might be with him. Because God's plan is, is that he would be with his people, there should be no surprise that when, it, when it's all said and done, what we see in, in Revelation 21.3 is that God will live amongst his people. Reve, Revelation 21.3 says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, there's that, there's that, that phrase again, that, that process, look, see, what I'm doing here, see 
what I've provided for you. Look, God's dwelling place is now among his people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. This is, this is the whole aim that God is after here, that he would be with his people, that his people would be with him. This sets Christianity apart from all other religions. All the other religions are about what you can do to be with God. Christianity is about what God has done that you might be with him. So again, we, we look at this passage and we see God's plan for Israel, and we can look and learn um, that the plan really was for them to walk with him. God is teaching Israel that conquering is less about war strategy and more about walking with him. This is why he would instruct them to be led by the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant symbolizes the Lord's presence. So in the Lord, uh, what he's teaching them in battle is that if, if I'm leading you in battle and I promise the victory for you, I want you and your enemies to know by, by preceding you in battle that I fight for you. You need to know that and your enemies need to know that. Therefore, um, you, you'll be encouraged in that I'm fighting for you. God is training Israel to obey him. Their obedience is rooted in, in God's promises. We can trust the plan and process of God when we have his, his, his pro, uh, promises. So again, the battle is really just a context for us to be with the Lord and to walk with him. Let's be clear. God did not need Israel to bring judgment against Jericho, and he doesn't need us to accomplish anything in this world. The problems and the situations and the hardships and the victories, everything that we face in this life are all but the, the background music, the context for us to walk with the Lord. This is, this is what makes heaven so exciting. Heaven is going to be that we, can be, we, we, we will be with him. We get to actually practice part of that now. And so if your person in, in heaven is something that kind of seems off in the distance and you don't really know what it's about, it's about being with the Lord. That's what we just saw in Revelation 23. And you get a taste of that now in life where you can walk with the Lord through all of your situations. So I think we can see significance in the seven-day time frame. In God's wisdom, we operate off, off of a seven-day time frame. It could be that in this, in this time frame, he's seeking to remind Joshua and Israel of his deliverance. Particularly, the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread was also a seven-day feast. And so I'm sure in, in some ways, Joshua, is, is, he's thinking, man, this seven-day period is also like this Feast of Unleavened Bread, where the whole point of the Feast of Unleavened Bread was that Israel, Israel would be reminded of God's deliverance of them from Egypt. And so even in, in his details, he sent, I'm the same faithful God that delivered you and your parents from, from Egypt. And so we, I think we see the connection, hopefully you see the connection for us, is that each day we must get up and walk with the Lord daily. We get up and walk with the Lord for six days, and on the seventh day, we come in here and we shout because of the victory that we have in Christ. This is, this is the pattern that we see laid out for us. And how was Israel to walk with the Lord? Israel was to walk with the Lord by worshiping the Lord and following Joshua. And by the way, in Christ, we see these two offices brought together in one. The one we follow is also the one we worship. Israel carried a physical reminder of the presence of the Lord. They followed Joshua but worshiped the Lord. 
in Christ, we have both of those offices combined. By faith, we obtain salvation, and the Spirit of God dwells within us. Every day, we have the blessing that we can get up in the morning and walk following Jesus. Got these pages stuck together. Amen. Um, So here's a question you might have. What does it look like to walk with the Lord? Here are a few actions or, or processes that are consistent with walking with the Lord. Again, we walk with the Lord by following Christ. You meet Christ at the cross. That's where your journey begins. Christ set you free that you might walk with him. This is the same thing the Lord did with Israel. He set them free to bring them to this point that they would walk with him. And so here are just a few of the habits of those who walk with the Lord. Those who walk with the Lord know his word. You can't walk with him if you don't know where he's going. Pretty simple. You, we read and study his word to know where he's going, and then we follow in step. Those who walk with the Lord live out repentance. The truth of the matter is that we get off the path. We want to run ahead or run away from the Lord. In sin, what we end up doing is running to the things God commands us to run away from. Consider the word flee that you would find in the New Testament. It's just a few passages. 1 Corinthians 6, 18, flee sexual immorality. 1 Corinthians 10, 14, flee from idolatry. 1 Timothy 6, 3 through 11, flee these things. That's verse 11. What comes before that is a long laundry list of things, of, of sinful behaviors that don't facilitate walking with the Lord. And he caps that by saying, flee from these things. We ought to walk with the Lord, but we ought to flee, run away from sin. 2 Timothy 2, uh, verse 22 says, flee youthful lust. And then notice this with James 4, 7. As we submit to God, we resist the devil. And the passage there says that he will flee from you. Get, get that. As we walk with the Lord, Satan will flee from us. It's not that it's us. It's that we're walking with the Lord. The enemy, you're not going to walk in the enemy's camp and, and try to attack them there. It's, it's too much uh, artillery around. You, I mean, it's an easy kill. So for Satan, he's going to flee from us as we walk with the Lord. But if we walk away from him, or if we're running to the things God commands us to run from, it's easy for him to overtake us. And so those who walk with the Lord also walk with God's people. If the unfolding plan of salvation is that God desires to be with his people, Shouldn't you want to be with God's people? If God has done all of this by sending Christ to die on the cross for his people, what's your excuse for not being with his people? This means there should be an evident pattern of your life in your life of walking with God, with God's people. In fact, I would go so far as to say if you're not walking with God's people, you're not walking with God. We should be walking in love, walking in forgiveness, walking in grieving loss, walking in celebrating, walking in meeting needs, walking in encouragement. The list goes on and on and on. The Bible is clear about how we should relate to one another as, um, as brothers and sisters. Those who, who walk with the Lord also recruit others to walk with the Lord. Consider this, whether you would call it a natural response or supernatural response, Overwhelmingly, what you find in the scriptures, when people have an encounter with the Lord, whether it's healing, 
or receiving grace from the Lord or forgiveness, there's a response to want to tell somebody else about the Lord. Consider David in Psalm 51 in his prayer of repentance. In verse 13, as a response to God giving him the joy of salvation, that leads into evangelism. Psalm 51, uh, verse 12 and 13 says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Jesus promises his presence with his disciples in the context of making disciples. Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus doesn't just promise his presence in a, in a general context. He's not just saying, I'll be with all people in all times. He's speaking to his disciples, saying, as you go and make disciples, I will be with you. If you want to know where the Lord is, he's making disciples. You should probably go walk with him. He's promised, like, I'm with you. We can, we can take that to the bank. That's a guarantee. You might not become a missionary or a pastor, and that's fine, but there are neighbors, coworkers, managers, bosses, people under your leadership, classmates, teammates, people you hang out with, all who need to be walking with the Lord. And so a sure way we can walk with the Lord is walking with him and making disciples. To sum it up, we, anything God commands, you can trust you have his help in his presence. He's not calling us to do anything or to go anywhere that he won't provide his help. And so our, our third and final principle we can see in this passage is that perseverance is needed for the battle. Again, I think it's important that we note um, what doesn't happen in this passage, that Joshua didn't give uh, his army and the priests the full plan. He didn't tell them, all right, we're going to do this for seven days, and then, you know, it, it'll take place. One, in one sense, he probably didn't tell them because he, he knew his people. He knew some of those guys would probably be like, well, we're not going to fight till Tuesday, so what's the point of going down there? I'm just going to wait until, until we go down there and, and fight. And so he, you know, he, he keeps that information from them. But think about that again with the, with the soldiers, that each day they're getting up ready for battle. They, I mean, they don't know when it's going to happen. Joshua just told them, you, you'll, hear, you, you'll, know the, you'll know the time when I give you the command to shout, and then it'll be time to fight. And so each day they're getting up ready. Like, is this the day that we will take Jericho? And so if you haven't caught it by now, the battle... The battle really is for us to walk with the Lord. It's, God promises the victory. We don't have to worry about that. Pastor Carter highlighted that all last week. The fight for us, the real fight, is to walk with the Lord. And so we need perseverance to do that. Perseverance is defined as persistence in doing something despite difficulty or delay in achieving success. We need perseverance because walking is not running. Walking is slow. It's slower than running. There will be times when we want to run and the Lord will say, walk. There will be times when we don't want to walk and the Lord will say, walk. Again, as we, we talked about before, we, we're prone to actually run to the things he says to run away from. 
So we need perseverance in the plan of God and the plan that God has because it seems slow and it seems stupid. In fact, the world will actually tell you that this plan is stupid to walk with the Lord. We, we reach a limit on our obeying God's commands when we think victory should have come at a certain point. And then from there, we decide to quit. And so when I think of Israel walking around the walls of Jericho, I'm reminded of the movie The Karate Kid, the, the original movie, not, you know, all the, the dozen ones they did after that, the first one. You all know the story. I see the, the smiles on your faces. You have Daniel, who's, who wants to learn karate. He's, he's preparing to be in this, in this tournament. He meets Mr. Miyagi. They set up this agreement for him to, to learn karate. And so from there, he has Daniel doing all of these chores and, and things. And there's a pivotal point in the movie where Daniel is fed up with the process. To this point, Mr. Miyagi has had him, you know, wax on, wax off, you know, painting the fences. But each, with each activity he's leading him in, he's giving him a specific technique on how to do it. And so Daniel's fed up with the process. He feels like this has all been a setup for free labor, and there's, there's no, I'm not learning karate. I'm just learning how to paint your, paint your fence or sand your floor. And so Daniel quit on the process because he didn't trust the promise of the person giving him the commands. Daniel couldn't see. He couldn't see that there was actually progress being made. In his mind, there should have been more progress made. Daniel thought that there was a better way. Instead of me just doing chores, I can just go down to the, to the gym and just learn karate. I don't have to do all these chores for you. And in this way, we're no different. We give up on God because he's not moving it in our timing. We become convinced that God can't be trusted because we haven't obtained victory yet. So at this pivotal point in the movie, Mr. Ms. Miyagi calls on Daniel to rehearse each technique. And so they're doing, he's doing the moves. And what he's showing, you know, the wax on, wax off, all that stuff. What he's showing Daniel is that what I've actually been teaching you are defense, defense moves in karate. I'm, I'm teaching you karate. You, you just you think you haven't been making progress. What you've been doing is actually karate. And so for us in life, I know there's times where it feels like God just has us painting fences, where, where it feels like what you're doing is totally disconnected to what you want to happen or what you think you should be doing. And this is where we need perseverance. We need perseverance to, to keep in mind the promises of, of the Lord. We must trust the promises that we have in Christ. We persevere through these difficult times by walking with the Lord and remembering his promises, by seeing, again, seeing what the Lord has done for us. As I close, I want us to see our need for Christ and that Christ persevered when we couldn't. In John 6, Christ calls on his, his followers to eat of his flesh and to drink of his blood, and that was just too much for them. They didn't understand what he meant, and they weren't planning to stick around and find out. He called them to something that seemed totally unrelated to why they were there. And after many of his disciples left, he turns to the 12 and says, are you leaving too? And Peter's response is very instructive for us. He says, you have the words of life. Like, Where are we going? Internally, I'm pretty sure he felt like the people that left, like, I don't know, Lord, what that was about, about the blood and the eating, eating you and all that. I don't know what that is, but I know I need to stick around to find out. 
Peter knew that departing from the Lord was a downgrade, like falling off a cliff. He, he didn't understand all of what Jesus had to say, but Jesus' promise was enough to keep him walking with him. But even Peter had a limit on his ability to walk with the Lord. As Jesus is approaching his death on the cross for us in Matthew 26, in verse 40, he found Peter sleeping. Peter lacked stamina in walking with the Lord. If you, can re- if you continue reading on in Matthew 26, you'll find that Peter is found invoking a curse on himself that he doesn't know who Jesus is. Peter was fearful. He lacked the courage needed to walk with Jesus. And this is not just an exercise to beat up on Peter, but the, the point here is to see that we need perseverance to walk with the Lord. This walk with the Lord at times will turn up the heat in your lives, and if you're walking in your own strength, what you'll find is that you don't have enough to finish the task. This is why we need Christ. Christ, in dying and defeating death, says, see the eternal life I have accomplished for you. See that walking with, I, I, I walked with the Father when you couldn't. I walked with the Father when you, when you were too afraid. I kept walking when the, when the situation was too much for you. I kept walking when you fell asleep on me. I kept walking when you were mad, angry, and had no desire to walk with me. Are you tired of walking with the Lord? Do you feel justified in not walking with the Lord? Maybe, maybe you haven't started your journey with the Lord. I, I pray this morning that you would, you would be convinced that walking with the Lord are the keys to life. The battles and the situations we face, face in this life, those aren't, those aren't what's important. What's important is that we walk with him. Because in the end, heaven is about walking with the Lord. It's about living with him, actually dwelling with him. Like We're going to be excited to be in the presence of the Lord. Lean on Jesus. Remember his promises for you. He's waiting and willing to start again. Let's pray.